All right. So the last time we the last time we um, looked at Job, we saw uh, Eliphaz's um, his counsel to Job was basically a works based, pious, religious. Uh, you must have done something wrong because our religion says, you know, that uh, God gives good things in this life. Uh, to those who do good in this life and God only lets suffering come to those who do bad things in this life. So Job is suffering. Then we saw that Eliphaz, um, the only thing he could offer was this pious works-based religion to try to help Job. I mean, his, uh, his goal was to, uh, his goal was to help Job, uh, especially in the early chapters before they start getting aggressive. But, uh, the only thing he had to help Job with was his religion. If you would just repent, if you would just turn back to God, you must have done something wrong. Suffering like you're going through doesn't happen to those uh, who uh, who are devoted to God and who are blameless before God. And so that was Eliphaz's counsel to Job. <clears throat> and of course we know that it's wrong. But uh, as we begin looking at, at chapter 6... Um, we're going to see Job's first response uh, to his friend's counsel, specifically to what Eliphaz has said in chapter 4 and 5. Um, in this case, uh, he's going to be responding to the claim that God doesn't allow good people to suffer in this life. Um, and, you know, so since Job's suffering, he must be a bad person or he must have done something wrong. Job's going to be responding to that. Um Basically, uh, we saw that um, you know Eliphaz's advice sounded spiritual. It sounded decent, but we already know why Job is suffering. It's been told to us in the first two chapters. So, um, what Eliphaz offered Job was just man-centered, works-based religion, um, and, and you know that that can't help. That can't comfort anyone in suffering. So, this fact is going to to. It's going to end up being true no no matter what suffering we go through or what suffering we try to counsel someone else through. Religion, man-made, works-based, do good to get good. Um, it's never going to be able to comfort or help uh, anyone in any way. You know, people may suffer because of decisions they made or things that they do, um, but it's not the case all the time. And for us who are going through suffering or counseling someone in suffering, um, for us to make snap religious judgments about a person's moral character or about their their past or anything like that, um, not only is it not helpful, but it, it does them absolutely no good, especially when it's very possible that God could, uh, God could be uh, doing something else. You know, there is such a thing as redemptive, Suffering, suffering that makes us more like Christ, suffering that is for our good. So, a lot of things to keep in mind there. Um, a lot of times, if you if you counsel like Eliphaz as counsel of Job, you'll end up bringing more pain uh, and more anguish. Um, people think, you know, when uh, if I was Job listening to Eliphaz. Uh, and if if I was Job and I bought into what Eliphaz was saying, then I would feel even more like a failure in my suffering than before Eliphaz started talking. So um, what we're going to see, the first thing we see in chapter 6 is we're going to see that um, 
<laughs> well, that Job's agony is not helped at all by what Eliphaz has said. Um, in verses 1 through 4, Job is going to be reiterating the fact that he's agonizing under God's wrath. He says, uh, verse 1 says, Then Job answered and said, verse 2, Oh, that my vexation were weighed and all my calamity laid in the balance. If you could just see how bad I'm suffering. Verse 3, For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, therefore, my words have been rash. He said, This is why I'm speaking the way I'm speaking. Verse 4, For the arrows of the Almighty are in me, and my spirit drinks their poison. Here Job, um, he makes sure that Eliphaz knows that Job's suffering is heavier than sand, and, and he cannot do anything but cry out in, in agony. It's because his suffering is so great that he he cried out so deeply, as we saw uh, before um, in his first speech. But the one thing that we can't miss and the one thing that Job makes sure Eliphaz doesn't miss is that it is God's wrath that has attacked Job. Eliphaz basically told Job that God's wrath had come upon him in the form of suffering because Job had some secret sin that he needs to repent of. Here, Job shows that in part Eliphaz is correct. It is God who has fired these arrows uh, of suffering into Job and the poison of these arrows is great. Uh, one of the really interesting things about what Job says when he is describing his suffering is that he, he doesn't mention the details of how uh, he's suffering. He doesn't say he doesn't say, "Guys, I'm sorry. I blurted out so emotionally, but you know, I lost all my children. Uh, you know, I've lost my health. Uh, I've had all my business, my finances taken away. I mean, I'm just suffering because of all these things." Job says that he suffers. Because of God's wrath. And the idea that the Holy God is is punishing him is just too much it's too much for him to bear. So here we find a little bit of agreement between Job and Eliphaz, but but you know that's not gonna last. Uh, Job can agree that it is God that has brought this upon him, but what he cannot accept is that um, he can't accept Eliphaz's religious explanation as to why um but i thought it was very interesting that uh um job's main complaint is not hey guys i've lost everything i don't have any money i don't have any way to uh you know to uh, prosper anymore i'm a beggar i'm a outcast with this skin disease i'm you know he could go through the the practical uh, elements of his suffering and just say this is what I'm going through but instead he says that his suffering is under God's wrath um, I, I, I don't know there's just something in me that thinks based on what we know about Job um, that he is suffering more um, at the idea of God being angry with him than he is the things that have happened to him. Uh, I'm sure it's it's the things that have happened to him are are weighing heavy on his mind and he's suffering under those. But here he's he's saying that the idea the idea of being under God's wrath is an is an idea that uh, 
I just can't bear. It reminds me of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people ask uh, about he, Jesus in the garden where he, he just seemed like he didn't want to go to the cross. He seemed like, you know, God, he, he told his father, he said, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, let it let it pass. But nevertheless, uh, your will be done and not mine. Um that bothers some people because we have documented cases of Christians all through, you know, since uh, from the first century on uh, that have gone to their death boldly, you know, boldly and proudly um, saying, you know, things like, you know, I, I, I won't reject Christ. I won't reject God and 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 being being killed for their faith. Uh, how was it that Jesus was in the garden so seemingly fearful? Uh, and the answer is, is simple. Jesus wasn't just going to the cross. He wasn't just dying. He wasn't just giving up a physical life. He was going to, cro- to the cross to bear the wrath of Almighty God. And that is something that no Christian martyr has ever done. That's something that no man has ever done, is he actually bore the wrath of the Father and was crushed by the Father. It wasn't just about a physical death. It was about him bearing the sin um, of the world. So I found that interesting in Job that, that he's not mentioning you know all his circumstances. He's mentioning that the wrath of God is definitely upon him. He's kind of agreeing with Eliphaz here. Verse 5 says, uh, Job is going to be explaining why he why he blurted out the way he did in his suffering. He says, "Does the wild donkey bray when he has grass, or the ox low over his his fodder?" Um, Job is adamantly saying that his cry of anguish is completely justified. He is crying out in suffering because he has a good reason to. Just like the wild donkey doesn't bray when when he has grass, you know, he's satisfied. He's got what he needs. And the ox doesn't moan when it has its food. Uh, Job wouldn't be crying out in anguish if he didn't have a good reason to be crying out. Uh, all creation moans when it goes through suffering. And Job is no different. Job is, is crying for... For good reason, but but Eliphaz is offering Job's Job words that he can't, he just can't accept. Um, just like the donkey and the and the ox that have no food, but but long to eat, they cry out for food. Job cries out for an end uh, to the suffering that he's going through. But Eliphaz's words uh, are not edible, so to speak. Uh, they're not they're not food for Job's soul. They're not comforting. They're not helpful. Uh, he can't take them. He says, verse six says, "Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt?" He's talking about he's he's keeping with the 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 metaphor of the donkey and his food and the ox and his food and Eliphaz's words. He says, "Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the juice of the of the mallow?" Now, there's a a, a huge textual variant there about. Uh, whether he's talking about a marshmallow or the the white of an egg, but the 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 sense is still the same. Verse seven says, "My appetite refuses to touch them; uh, they are as food that is loathsome to me." He said, "In your words, I can't digest them." Eliphaz's words are tasteless to Job. His religious explanation is tasteless. They they don't give him satisfactory answer, nor do they comfort him at all. Uh, in his time of need, he says that uh, the tasteless food of Eliphaz's quote-unquote religion can't be eaten without salt. And Eliphaz is trying to force-feed a traditional works-based religion down Job's throat, thinking that you know it will help him. 
but Job knows full well that it can't do anything but make his suffering worse. Job will hold fast to the fact that he has not sinned. Uh, he has not sinned in an unrepentant, rebellious fashion as to bring about the punishment of God. Now, Job is not sinless. We've said this over and over again. But he was devoted to God. He did offer sacrifices. He was, and by God's own testimony, he was blameless. Uh, he's a sinner like everybody else, you know. But but we have to remember what God what God said. So Job cannot accept Eliphaz's counsel. Uh, for him to admit his error and repent. That was Eliphaz's counsel. Um, Eliphaz said, if you would just do this, it would ease your suffering. Uh, now we know that that's not true because he's not suffering because there is an unrepentant sin in his life. Job is truly unaware of any such sin in his life that you know he, he, he should uh, repent of, which would calm this suffering. Um, but even though Job is bombarded by religious advice and can't understand why God is allowing his suffering, it just seems to me like his faith in God isn't, isn't shaken. Um, not in, at this point. Their, uh, Eliphaz's works-based religion, do good to get good, uh, and their, their focus on getting blessings in this life, um, it, it, it can't shake Job's uh, Belief and faith in the fact that uh, God is working all things. In fact, in verses eight through ten, it seems like Job wants to hurry up and die uh, because he he knows that if he doesn't hurry up and die, um, his faith may be shaken to the point that he would dishonor God. Um, verse eight through ten. It, it, it just shows it shows that Job is is still longing for God, um, but he's longing for God to kill him rather than continue to let him suffer. Verse eight says, "Let's just read it." It says, "Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would fulfill my hopes." He's putting he's still calling out to God. Verse nine that it would please God to crush me, that He would let loose His hand and cut me off. Verse ten says, "This would be my comfort." I would even exult in pain, unsparing. He said, I'd even exult in the pain, for I have not defiled the words of the Holy One. It's like he's saying, you know, I wish God would just go on and finish the job. I wish he would just just get it done. You know, um, for a man who, you know, uh, for a man who suffers as much as he's suffering, uh, death seems like a way out. Now, for us, we know that you know there is a heaven, there is a hell, um, and and Job is well aware of the fact that there that God um, does uh, have an afterlife where you will go to. For him to be ready to die, to want to die, is not just a please let my suffering stop. It's it's a it's the thought that he is he is ready to have all this done with. If God's wrath is upon me, if what you're saying is true, and and my suffering is is uh, due to some sin that I have, something I'm hiding from God, then let him go on and kill me because I have not denied his word. I have not defied his word. That's what he said. He was he was. Um, 
he was adamant about the fact that that he could not think of anything that was the root cause of his suffering. And of course, we know there wasn't one. So, so far in the book of Job, you know, what we're seeing here is nothing new. Job's first speech laid out clearly that, that he wanted to die and he couldn't go through all the suffering. But here, Job declares that he has most certainly not denied the words of the Holy One. Therefore, he cannot accept Eliphaz's religious rebuke um, what is ex- you know exceptional to me is the reason Job gives that he wants to die. Here he doesn't just want to die to end his suffering. Verses 11, and 11 through 13, um, it, it's going to tell us that he wants to hurry up and die because if his suffering continues, he's not sure he can hold on to his faith in God. So he's realistic about his frailty and his, his weakness. He's not sure his strength will hold out. Verse 11 says, What is my strength that I should wait? This is uh, this is in that section where he says, I want to hurry up and die. I haven't denied God's word. I wish he would go on and kill me. He says, What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should be patient or endure this? Uh, is my strength the strength of stones? Or is my flesh bronze? Have I any help in me when resources is, is driven for me? Uh, he it's showing that he's a true man of faith here that's suffering these things. He's lost everything and is suffering unimaginable anguish. Uh, you know, and he's already said that he wants to die so he can rest, but he wants to go ahead and die because if he doesn't die soon, he's not sure that he can hold out. He's not sure that his strength will last. He loves God and is devoted to him. Uh, his faith in God is pretty much all he has, but he also knows that He's not strong in his own flesh. He says, is my, is my strength the strength of stones or is my flesh bronze? Um, he, he, he admits that he doesn't have any help in himself. And all his resources have been taken away. Verse 13 said, uh, I don't have any help in me. And uh, all my resources have been driven away. So I really want you to understand this. Job is worried about, about his faith in God failing his strength failing he's worried that the more his suffering continues the weaker he'll become and eventually his strength will give out and and he'll sin against god um if there's if there's one trap that believers often fall into we we start to we start to think that we're strong in our faith and able to overcome anything in and of ourselves, that's usually when we fail. It's so easy to put our faith in the strength of our own faith rather than putting our faith in the strength of our own God. Um, I can remember when I first, when I was first converted in, in my own mind, I just knew that I had it all going on. I just couldn't understand how you know all these people claiming to be Christians were acting the way they were acting and doing the things they were doing. If uh, if they were all just like me. The kingdom of God would be, you know, it would be moving forward at lightning speed. We'd win the world for Christ. And what's wrong with uh, what's wrong with everyone that I come in contact to? Uh, they just need to get what I have. But you know, of course, as I as I grew closer and closer to God, grew as a Christian, I started seeing more and more of my own sin. And I was, man, I was far greater sinner than I than I ever realized. In fact. I wasn't even sure that I ever had been, quote-unquote, good 
by any stretch of the imagination. The Bible says that uh, if a man thinks he stands, he should take heed lest he falls. And in our own strength, we can do nothing. Job understood that he wasn't strong at all. He knew that the only thing he had was God. And he knew that if his suffering continued and continued, he could very well fall in his faith. Um, He loved God so much that he would have rather died than uh, than turn his back on him, but uh, but now Job's going to turn his attention back to his friends, who who think that they're trying to help him with their you know works based religion. You, people don't go through suffering unless they deserve to suffer for some reason. So they they're offering him this as su- supposed comfort. Uh, they say stop doing bad and start doing good and God will reward you by by healing your suffering and getting you back to the place of, of blessing. Uh, in verse 14, Job says, um, He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Eliphaz offered Job a lot of things. He offered Job religious advice. He offered Job a way to work his way out of suffering. Uh, but the one thing that he did not offer Job was pity. Or kindness, or gentleness. The word um, that's translated kindness in this verse is is the word chesed, and and chesed in in Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word that's most used in the Old Testament to describe uh, God's covenant faithfulness. It's it's uh, it's not being just being nice to someone or being a kind person. It's not even showing kindness, although it it, it does have that semantic dimension, but um, it's showing covenant faithfulness to a brother who is in who is in need. It's when it's used of God. It's it's honoring God. Um, it's God honoring His promise. It's God being faithful. Um, it's often translated loving kindness, but it's it's God being faithful uh, to keep the covenant of of love that He has with His people. Um, and for us, it's honoring God by honoring his children. Job is is God's child, and instead of giving Job faithfulness and kindness, loving kindness, in keeping with the covenant of God, Eliphaz has offered Job a, a pay-to-play, work your way back into God's good graces religion. Um, and Job plainly says that the, the person who is, withholds this, this covenant faithfulness, this loving kindness, is uh, not only doing wrong, but he's forsaking the Almighty. God's people have a responsibility to care and suffer with each other, to bear one another's burdens. the The best example I can think of is the way uh, the way my wife w- likes to vent to me. Sometimes I'm a I'm a fixer, and if you give me a problem, I try to give you the solution. And if you just use my solution, everything will be fine. And so when something's going wrong. I want to initiate a plan that's going to make it right. Uh, but sometimes she just wants me to sit there and listen to her vent about the way people acting at work or, or something like that. And uh, um, she used to go off about all the problems and I'd start spitting out solutions. Well, this is what you need to do. This is what we need to do. This is what you, you go back and this is what you do. Um, I wasn't empathizing with her. I wasn't sympathizing with her. I wasn't... Um, you know, I wasn't trying to be there uh, for her. I was just giving her cold, hard facts, suggestions to solve the problem. And, you know, what she really needed was for me just to listen and to suffer with her, so to speak. Um, to feel 
what she was feeling and to bear her up as she had to carry the burden of of whatever's going on that's uh that's what believers do for each other uh, when a believer's suffering sometimes the last thing they need is is for you and I to come along and start spouting off religious cliches and things that sound real spiritual uh trying to uh give cold hard facts to fix the situation uh when you know that rarely rarely offers any true help uh sometimes the best help that you can give is just to be there and suffer and comfort that person with uh with your presence and your attention um and while it's the covenantal responsibility of believers to comfort each other, uh, bear one another's burdens, share kindness to those who are suffering, those things, uh, the friends of, of Job, and in this case specifically Eliphaz, they only brought, he only brought an empty religious advice. Uh, he counseled him that if he'd straighten up and fly right, God would release him from the suffering of his life. Um, but yet Job didn't know of any part of his life that needed to be straightened up. He didn't know of anything that he needed to turn back to God. So basically, Eliphaz's counsel was more hurtful to Job than it was helpful. In fact, Job is Job's going to get really poetic here in describing the deficiency in Eliphaz's counsel. Uh, verses 15 through 17, Job says, uh, My brothers are treacherous as a torrent bed, as torrential, torrential streams that pass away. Uh, verse 16, which are dark with ice and where the snow hides them. When they melt, they disappear. And when it is hot, they vanish from their place. The picture Job is painting here is of these these great rivers, these torrential streams uh, that they, when the when the rains come, they flood. And then when the dry season comes, they dry up. Uh, when, when it's cold, they freeze over. Um, they're they're fading away when you when you come upon them it's just there's nothing there the idea is that um these streams look like a great source of water but you know when thirsty travelers actually arrive at them to drink and be refreshed the streams vanish into thin air and can't supply anything but but emptiness and this is what eliphaz's religious council is like to job this is what his works-based man-made religion is it's emptiness um if you ever been through a a, t- a time of uh really difficult suffering you already you already know what what it's like uh for you and I who are right at this moment not going through the terrible pain of suffering re- religious words and ideas that sound real spiritual and theologically sound seem like real answers as we you know we can debate them back and forth and and do these things but in this case job is is offered the standard man-made religious advice you are suffering because you must have done something bad. Just stop doing whatever it was that was bad. Start doing good, and God will take all this off you. Uh, and the idea here is that God doesn't allow suffering to come to good people. We've seen it, and we're going to continue to see it throughout the book. Um, and it sounds like you know, it sounds like a wonderful universe to live in. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, as, as readers of the scripture, we have already been told why Job's suffering, and Eliphaz has it all wrong. Sometimes, in this fallen world, people suffer. Good, bad, or indifferent. Believers, non-believers. 
Um, the, while the Bible says there's there's none good in the sense that no one's righteous before holy God, we see that people who seem like really good people, even believers, devout believers, suffer all the time. Sickness, disease, accidents, tragedy. Um, they don't pick and choose who they afflict, yet God works all things you know, for good. So even true things can be c- completely unhelpful at certain points. You know, in, in people's suffering. The point of this section in Job is that Eliphaz didn't even consider the suffering of Job and how his words would affect him. Uh, sometimes kindness must supersede truth until a person is ready to receive truth. Um, that sounds even strange for me to say that kindness would supersede truth. I don't mean you should lie, but, um, you know... Well, let me give you an example. A parent who just unexpectedly lost a small child. Um, now, right now, that parent is in total shock and is struggling with the pain um, that that's impossible to define. And at that moment, the worst thing in the world you can do is bust through the door trying to tell them that God is working for good in the death of their child. Now, although we know that that is theologically true. And that's the hope that we have. That's the only hope we have to offer. Um, There's a time and a place to give that truth. As they're going through the initial shock of that suffering, we're called to comfort the afflicted and bear the burdens of their suffering. I don't know about you, but if I just lost a child, the last thing I would want to hear is is somebody coming in and telling me how everything's going to be okay. It's all right. God's God's working for your good. Um, it takes time to process that kind of stuff. And so I'm not saying we should sugarcoat truth or dumb down the message in order to coddle people. Uh, but I am saying that our truth should rest at the feet of kindness. And in the midst of a tragedy, when people are suffering, the first thing we should focus on is is comfort and aid in that suffering. There are no magic words to you know, accomplish uh, to to get a person out of the suffering they go through, just like you know Eliphaz, if we if we smother the suffering with with just religious words, even true religious words in some cases, w- what will be is will be like those streams that that Job's talking about that are that are no benefit to anyone. They're in the winter time, they're iced over, so you can't drink from them when you get there and be satisfied, uh, and. And they're dried up in the summer, so no one can drink from them. Then, basically, they're never they're they're not useful uh, at all to ease any kind of suffering, to bring any kind of satisfaction. They cannot refresh those who are thirsty. Now, before we move on, I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. There is a time when a person needs to hear true theological things that bring hope in suffering. That God is working for your good. Even in the in the tragic death of of a loved one or a child or something like that, but the refreshing acts of kindness and comfort is what brings the suffering person over the hump of the incredible pain that you know that in, that'll allow them to accept those great you know spiritual truths. Unfortunately, you know for Job, it seems it seems that his friends were they were. <laughs> they were shamefully confident in their advice rather than than seeking to be a comfort to Job in, in his time of need. Verses 18 through 19 say, uh, Job is still talking about the rivers here, and he's talking about people that go looking for these rivers. 
he says, the caravans turn aside from their course. They go up into the waste and perish. Uh, you know, he's he's talking about, you know, the, the caravans that turn aside to go to this river that they see. And when they get there, they can't be refreshed because it's either iced over or it's it's empty and, and dry. And so they perish because they, they put their hope in that stream and they moved toward that stream but when it got there it was useless and so he's saying this about eliphaz's words you know your words look good they sound good but when i turn and i go to them and i put my trust in those they're they're useless they're not they're uh they're not helpful at all verse 19 says the caravans of tima look the travelers of sheba hope um they are ashamed. Verse 20, they are ashamed because they were confident. They come there and are disappointed. They get to that stream and there's nothing there. Verse 21, for you have now become nothing. You see my calamity and you're afraid. Um, they have put their, Job's friends are putting their total confidence in their religious words. Uh, and now the friends are fearful of what has happened to Job. like It's like most of us who see people suffering. Uh, they have to try to make sense of it. You know. the I don't care who you are. Uh, you know. No matter how graceful you are. Or hopeful you are. When you see someone going through suffering. The first thing that usually pops in your mind. Is wow. I'm glad that didn't happen to me. Or it could happen to me. So even when. You know. They're trying to make sense of Job's plight even when there's no sense in it they have to try to explain why job is going through such trial uh, and they aren't going through this trial if eliphaz were to concede that suffering could come at any moment to any of us um, regardless of whether we deserve it quote unquote or not uh, then the world would seem crazy and out of control wouldn't it? it it would seem like we're actually not in control of our own circumstances, and, and that makes us feel very uneasy. Uh, so we can't have that. We have to uh, have to rationalize the fallen world so that we know why suffering falls on some and not others. There must be some evil they have done for, you know, for which they're being punished. And that's the only explanation that makes sense. Um, we can't just have suffering falling at random. Uh, because the world would just be too scary. And so they are trying their best to rationalize it. Um, but we've already seen that, that things rarely make sense the way we want. So finally, Job, he just simply and directly rejects what Eliphaz has said. Um, he ends his speech by, by questioning his, the ones who are giving him counsel he makes sure they know that he has not sought their counsel or their help he, verse 22 says have I said make me a gift or from your wealth offer me a bribe for me or deliver me from the adversary's hand or redeem me from the hand of the ruthless um, they, they had shown up for the purpose of comforting Job but the advice they're giving him so far is doing the exact opposite and Job asked them to give to give him some evidence. He said, said, teach me where I've gone wrong. He said, I didn't I didn't ask you for anything. I haven't asked you to do anything. I haven't asked you for your counsel. I, you know, I haven't asked you to help me. I haven't asked you for nothing. 
um, he he's getting a little. It seems like he's getting a little getting a little tense with them. They, uh, you know, the, so far they aren't doing a very good job of of comforting. So he's going to continue uh, in verse twenty four. He's going to he's going to say, "Teach me, and I'll be silent. Make me understand how I've gone astray." Um, how forceful are upright words? He's saying you're being forceful with your big religious talk. He says, but what? But what does reproof from you reprove? Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is when you think you can fix this with your religious words? Verse twenty-seven says you would even cast lot over the fatherless and bargain over your friend. Uh, he's saying. You know, teach me where I've gone wrong. Don't just make abstract assumptions and give generic religious advice about the way you think the world works. Tell me about my situation. Tell me what what I've done wrong. Don't just say, you know, God does this and God does that. And when we do this, you tell me about my situation. What am I supposed to do right now? If you can't comfort me in my personal suffering, then what good is your nonspecific religious ideas? Um, they're no, they're no good at all. Uh, you, you can't have a, you know, as often I go into, uh, counseling situations and if you try to get you a, try to get you an outline on, and, you know, this is the way to do it. Step one, step two, step three, step four. Um, most times you're going to fall flat on your face because every situation is different. So at the end, to to finish up here, Job finally is going to just plead with his friends to look at his case truthfully. He declares his innocence, and he tells them that he understands he understands what sin is, and and he pleads them to look at him with compassionate eyes rather than just cold religious ones. Uh, verse twenty eight says, "But now be pleased to look at me, for I will not lie to your face. Please turn. Let no injustice be done. Turn now. My vindication." Is at stake. Is there any injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern the cause of calamity? He understands. He understands his suffering in his situation. Uh, that's not the problem. In this case, he seems to be the only one who does understand. And he's ending this speech just, just basically pleading with him. Look, I know what sin is. I know I can discern the cause of my calamity and he's he's telling them that he hadn't done anything wrong and they're telling him oh you must have he said you got to you got to turn now and and look at my case you've got to listen to me my vindication is at, at stake you know uh i have you know he's going to hold on to his innocence and he's going to uh he's going to reject the uh uh do good and get good in this life mindset He's going to reject the religious counsel that they've offered him so far. And we're going to see that they're going to keep building on the same premise. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it then in, in, the, next, uh, in the next section.